the reason why I am passionate about entrepreneurship because you are constantly learning something and you're constantly learning something from somebody else. And I think I've been able to take those things and honestly create literally dozens of businesses over my career. And I think you have to be a sponge. You know, you have to continue to learn more about finance, marketing, management. And at the end of the day, I think what you do is you find out the things that you're good at, but also more importantly, you find the things you're not that good at. Welcome to The InFactor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm really excited today to have Scott Kelly, the CEO and founder of Black Dog Ventures with us. And that's one of the things he's doing right now. But as you're going to learn, I think, through our conversation, he is a serial entrepreneur, and he's a great example of living the life of an entrepreneur in an entrepreneurial journey. So I hope you enjoy this episode today. Really glad to have you with me today. And a very unique thing about today's episode is we're recording it in front of our new Master of Science in Entrepreneurship class here at the University of Tampa. So it's really fun to have you with me and also all these enthusiastic new budding entrepreneurs with us. Absolutely, absolutely. So Scott, let's start at the beginning. I always like to kind of go back. Were you one of these kids that had a lemonade stand in elementary school? Have you been an entrepreneur forever or is this something that came around later in life? Well, it's interesting you say that, you know, I want to share a story about my two boys at a lemonade stand in a few moments, but yeah, I more or less started out, you know, in sales and marketing. At 11, I worked as a busboy to help my mom pay the rent. In the summer, I would go visit my father, who in Long Island was a senior executive at what was called the Penny Saver, which was a discount newspaper with coupons. And every summer I went out to visit from 12 on, he goes, okay, Scott, you're going to learn something new this summer. So I went from printing the newspapers, starting at three o'clock in the morning. And for years, I had black ink on my fingernails that took forever to get out. Following summer, I delivered the newspapers door to door. The third summer, I think I was 16. And... He said, okay, you're ready to go sell. And so he took me out with one of their senior salespeople. I spent the summer selling advertising. And I will tell you one thing, the best way and probably the most valuable skill you might want to have as an entrepreneur is the ability to sell. It's a lost art. I think today in the age of the internet and social media, everyone thinks that you can just do effective Google or Facebook ads. But at the end of the day, you may have to be one-on-one with somebody and you may need to ask them for something you need. And I think that was the one thing I learned really early. Now, and really quickly on the lemonade stand, it's interesting you mentioned that. So several years ago, God, had to be 12, 15 years ago now, when there was the hurricane in Haiti, my two boys decided, okay, we're going to raise money to buy tents to send to Haiti. So both of my two boys put a lemonade stand on the front of our house and just started selling lemonade. And I had a fairly successful uh, public relations firm at the time. So I made a phone call to the local ABC affiliate. I said, why don't you come show my cute kids on TV? They came out. Within hours, we had several members of the Arizona Cardinals come out and and buy cups of lemonade for $100 a piece. And then actually one of the ABC affiliates 
it got picked up on in about 20 different stations. So they got a healthy dose of entrepreneurism pretty quickly themselves. That is a great story. And you know, interestingly, we've talked over the last few days because we've met in recently and have had a lot of connections, but we had a student, I was teaching here at the University of Tampa and it's in my book. We had a student that was in Haiti for the earthquake and actually was deeply affected by it and his entire business came out of that. And it's kind of interesting how out of tragedy, a lot of times we have, you know, we have a lot of new business. In fact, the pandemic, as an example, a lot of business opportunities have come out of that. There's always a lot of sadness as well and loss, but really interesting story about that connection. There's more I want to talk about from what you mentioned. So again, in my book, I talk about my mom and the influence she had on me. And you talked about your father and he wanted you to learn something new. Do you feel like that's part of the entrepreneurial mindset, that curiosity and learning? And Yeah, absolutely. I think the reason why I am passionate about entrepreneurship, because you are constantly learning something and you're constantly learning something from somebody else. And I think I've been able to take those things and honestly create literally dozens of businesses over my career. And I think you have to be a sponge. You know, you have to continue to learn more about finance, marketing, management. And at the end of the day, I think what you do is you find out the things that you're good at, but also more importantly, you find the things you're not that good at. And I tell people when I teach my class of entrepreneurship, I tell the entrepreneurs or the budding entrepreneurs who stay in your lane. If you're a really good engineer, but you don't have a good sales background, bring in someone on your team that can sell. You know, I started out as a, an accounting major as an undergrad and spent all of one semester as an accounting major and realized pretty quickly that wasn't going to be my profession. And so I eventually got my undergrad in, in marketing, got my graduate work and degree in finance, and but I was constantly learning. And I think, yeah, you know, there's an old saying that you know, leaders are readers. And I think that's something that really applies to all of you because everything's changing. You know, we are at this point in time where there was a statistic a decade ago that they said, the entire knowledge of the history of the world doubled every 270 days. It's even faster than that now. So the reality is to the extent you say where you are, you continue to fall behind. You know, it's really interesting. I think Sir Richard Branson said the number one thing entrepreneurs need is curiosity, which is about, it's kind of the motivation, I guess, for learning for a lot of people. Do you have any techniques or any habits that you've built into your life that relate to this idea of being a lifelong learner and how that affects your work? Absolutely. And I'm glad you used the word habits because I think as an entrepreneur, you're going to have to create habits. You're going to have to create a schedule. You're going to have to be disciplined about this. Now, as I mentioned earlier, before we had this podcast, I'm a collector of people. And one of the habits I have every single morning is I go out and introduce myself online to at least 100 people a day, every single day. And what I do is I do that strategically. If there's something I don't know, I'm going to reach out to an expert to teach me. And I think that is a a habit that has done phenomenal things for me. And for you students that are in class and those listening in, get in the habit of building a network of people who know more than you or know different things than you. 
And that's where you get the, I think, the best experiential type of learning. Mm -hmm. So it is a people business. You know, a lot of times entrepreneurship is thought of as kind of the lone ranger. And so I think that's probably a misconception, don't you? That I agree. Now, frankly, being an entrepreneur can be a lonely business. You know, if you're in a startup, it might be just you. And you are probably having every single position in this job. And because you're so involved in your business, some entrepreneurs tend to get into a silo. But don't do that. Make sure you build a network. Make sure you find advisors, mentors, others who you can have conversations with, who you, you know just talk to. Because again, for me, that's the other thing is I have built up a great network of people that I just simply trust. And I can simply ask them for an honest opinion. And I think... That is the one thing that can help get through, you know, part of the entrepreneurship journey. We'll talk about this a bit, I'm sure, but you're going to have some times where it's not very successful and you're going to have some struggles and you got to have those people to keep pushing you. So it's a people business, but you're going to have to be able to walk alone sometimes because you got to be out. If you're doing something innovative, you're out ahead of everybody a lot of times and they don't quite get it. Let's go back now. You told us a little bit about your you know, when you were a child. And so talk us through your career a little sure. bit. How did you get to Black Dog Ventures, okay. which is where you are today? And I know there's a lot of story in there. <laughs> so, and you're still a young guy. I'm not insinuating that you're not, but there's a lot that you've done a lot in that. Yeah, honestly, my journey, you know, I put myself through undergrad in New York and Long Island. My very first job, I went from New York to Lafayette, Louisiana to work as a retail stockbroker. And that's probably the equivalent of coming from Norway or Peru and coming to Tampa. It was a completely different cultural environment. And honestly, sometimes I think you have to work hard to get lucky. So my first week as a retail stockbroker from New York and Lafayette, Louisiana, my third day, somebody over the phone there, Mr. Thibodeau, bought a half a million dollars of municipal bonds over the phone. I was 22 years old and my commission was going to be about $38,000 on that trade. So my boss said, get in the car and go meet this person. I went to meet that person. When I got to the house, it was a shack. He was in his rocking chair, whittling some a piece of wood and didn't have the best denture work. And I asked him, and at the end of our hour meeting, Mr. Thibodeau gave me a check for $2 million. And I asked Mr. Thibodeau, I hate to be rude, but how did you get this money? And he walked me around to the corner of his house. And what used to be rice fields was oil derricks as far as the eye can see. Mr. Thibodeau was making about $10 million a month in oil royalties. And so that was how I got started, just by taking the initiative and doing, you know, making cold calls is not for the meek. And that's how I started there. I spent some time there and then I moved to Silicon Valley, worked as an investment banker, helped technology companies go public, raised a few billion dollars during that time for them. And then I tell people I am not a good employee. So after several years of doing that, I set up my own incubator in the Bay Area and started to grow, develop, and fortunately exited four technology companies between 93 and 2000. And then I moved to Arizona. I thought I was going to retire. I tell people I unsuccessfully retired twice. And then I kind of moved into something different. This is where opportunities just, if you are open to them, they come up. 
So I was sitting in my house in the Bay Area and I was reading a newspaper, probably something you guys don't see much of, and I saw a classified ad. There was an artist that wanted to raise money for their record label. So knowing absolutely nothing about the music business, I invested $50,000 in the record label. Four months later, we won a contest on MTV. Two months after that, our music video got into, put into full rotation. And two months after that, our first artist went gold. So then I spent eight years in the music and entertainment business. I completely made a pivot. And since then, I've gotten back into, in 2008, I got back into investing through our family office and uh, partnering with a lot of angel groups in the Southwest and Southern California. Eventually, that kind of morphed into what Black Dog Venture Partners is. And, you know, we're an accelerator. We work with young technology companies to help them fund their business, scale their business, and exit their business. I've been fortunate to be a part of 20-some-odd exits in my life. And honestly, I just love what I do. I love being in front of future billionaires like we are in this class. Yeah, and in addition to all those things that you did as an entrepreneur, you've been an educator. I think you told me you taught in Russia for a while, which was an, had some interesting stories because mm -hmm. I did as well. And then you've been teaching out yeah. in Arizona and... Fortunately for Tampa, you're moving here, so we're glad you've connected with us at the University of Tampa. I want to dig into several things you talked about. I find it really interesting that you ask questions. So with the gentleman, Mr. down in Louisiana, mm -hmm. you asked him, you were curious, you didn't judge a book by its cover on that right? Absolutely. You, you dug in a little bit more and you asked questions. Is that a, also a habit that you have? Of I'm always asking questions. I think the reality is don't assume anything. Don't judge someone by what they're driving or how they're dressed. I've had multiple stories. And in fact, you know, I've been asked from time to time, what are some of the books I recommend? One of my favorite books was called The Millionaire Next Door. George Daly, uh, professor at Georgia State, did a study of who the affluent are and who the pseudo-affluent are. And you really get to understand what success is. Success isn't necessarily going into debt to have a nice car or be well-dressed. Success is net worth. Those are some valuable lessons I learned from that. But yes, I'm always asking questions. And I think you guys should always ask questions to everybody that you meet. You know, I have had multiple occasions where there's people that I've met that on the surface, I didn't think they're going to have any impact on my life. You know, I remember when I moved to California, I had a woman come into my office and before I got into investment banking, I spent a little time in, in financial planning and she asked me, could I help her invest her $2,000 IRA? All the other brokers thought I was a fool for spending 90 minutes with this person for $2,000. Two weeks later, she came back with her daughter, who turned out to be the lead scientist at Genentech. And we helped sell about $4 million of our Genentech stock and reallocate it. You never know who knows who. Some of you may have heard you know, about the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. If you have it, I encourage you to Google that or ask Professor White about this, is that somebody knows somebody who knows somebody. And as I mentioned before we came on this podcast, one of the most important questions you can ask of somebody is, who do you know? Yeah, networking, it's so important. And it sounds like you talked about this earlier, too, so I want to get back to it. Some of your habits involve using social media. Absolutely. And as a relatively new book author, I've been somewhat forced <laughs> 
to be more involved with social media. And I have sort of a love-hate relationship with it. It's amazing what we can do with social media and being in the PR world and being in sales, which I'd like to get back to in a few minutes. And then also, you know, in all of your businesses, I know a lot of it's been about your ability to connect. So from a social media perspective, you said you're strategic. Could you talk a little bit about how do we think about using social media and networking in a strategic way? Because it can really consume all of us if we're not careful. And, you know, I see it when I see, I'll see students sitting in class and they're on their phone and, you know, I never know, are they taking notes? Are they, you know, that would be wonderful. Or are they, you know, connecting on social media? So how do we deal with that so that we're not distracted by it, but we're using it wisely? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think what you have to do is define being a social influencer versus being a social networker. I am not necessarily interested of having millions of fans on TikTok. I have an agency that handles that for me. But for me and for you, you want to think about where you want to be in a few years and then think about who are the people that can help you get there and then connect with them today. So again, my platforms are primarily, almost exclusively LinkedIn, some Twitter. Sure, I have an Instagram and also videos of my dog and my kids, and it's all fun and games. But the reality is, yeah, I have a strategy. You know, for me in particular, I have three people groups I want to pursue. One are fellow investors that can co-invest with me in opportunities. Two are fast-growing, relatively unknown tech entrepreneurs. And three are media, people that can help me get the word out on things that we're doing. And I think the best thing to do is come up with a strategy. You know, I tell my students, think about the job that you want or the internship you desire and begin to connect the people that are at least one degree, if not two degrees from that opportunity. Now, a couple caveats. I tell everybody, once you connect with somebody on social media, do not pitch them immediately. Don't tell them you need a job right away. Don't put a pitch deck in their message. Establish a relationship. You know, people like to do business with people they like. You're not going to be liked if you pitch them right away. Now, the best thing to do, I tell everybody, is that the saying that's out there, if you want money, ask for advice. If you ask for money, you're going to get advice. So start getting a network that can give you advice and allow that relationship to develop over time and give you that opportunity to have that ask, you know, at the appropriate time. I love that saying too. I've heard that. And I think that's great advice actually, because, you know, most people, you know, most people want to build that relationship and find some common ground. You and I are relatively new to each other and we've had a number of conversations But in each one, we've started to find more and more common ground. Absolutely. And I think that's what starts to build a relationship. And then in time, you know, you can begin to pitch, if that makes sense. A lot of it, too, I think, is about knowing that it's a reciprocal thing. Because for every person you connect to, you know, you're hoping to get something. But you have to be willing to give. Isn't that true? Absolutely. And everybody has something they can offer. You know, when I'm teaching my students, they are under the, you know, belief that because they're young students, they don't have to have anything to offer to someone like myself. That's the farthest thing from the truth. 
What you have is your enthusiasm. What you have is your desire to be helpful. We had a couple of students last semester where I was teaching, and you know, I told them, look, just go share some of their posts. Give them a shout out and see what happens. And we've had several of them land jobs as a direct result of that. So I think it's you've got to be in the business of giving first before taking. Yeah, you know, I noticed yesterday, Scott toured our entrepreneurship center here at the University of Tampa for the first time yesterday, and he told me afterwards how impressed he was with it, but he didn't just tell me. I noticed it on LinkedIn. He put a post about the center and did a shout out, so I haven't responded to that yet because I'm not as good as you, but (laughs) I did see it, and that mattered to me, and I think that's really good advice. Absolutely. There's always, I think, appreciation, gratitude, respect, enthusiasm. Those are things that mean a lot to me when I'm working with somebody, and I'm much more willing to work with them then. Now, you brought up sales. So could you talk a little bit? You've been in a number of different businesses from media to record labels, to investing. And in the investing world, you've been in a ton of different things. So I'm assuming sales has been one constant through there. I'd love to hear if there are you know, other tips, techniques, and anything you want to share about sales with aspiring entrepreneurs. Like, What are some of the skills that you've used through all of those different types of businesses? Well, I think the first thing is, we mentioned this before, you have to ask questions. I think obviously today... People don't necessarily want to be sold something. They want to be given a solution. And the best way you can provide a solution for them is to really know what the problem is. And that takes time. You know, I was an old school investor and, you know, a salesperson. And, you know, we would just close them until they bought. That doesn't really apply too much anymore. Now, that said, I think as you get information You can begin to accumulate the proper solution. But at the end of the day, you've got to ask. I tell people that nothing happens in a business until someone buys something. Okay. As an investor, one of the leading questions I ask is, have you sold anybody in this yet? Even if it's, you know, a concept, have you sold them on the concept? Have you pre-sold the product to somebody? So again, I think a lot of it is, you know, there's sales, there's marketing, But I think at the end of the day, everything comes down to building and developing relationships. Because what's going to happen is you may, you know, meet somebody who is, has an expertise in something you want, but honestly, they may know three or four other people that have expertise that you need. And for some of you new entrepreneurs, you have to ask yourself, okay, who do I need? Who do I need on my team? Who do I need as advisors? But again, I think, you know, sales starts with communication and communication starts with having someone to communicate with. So like I mentioned before, be a a constant grower of your network and then a constant developer of relationships. And I think a lot of those sales and marketing things can, can happen organically after that. So as you moved from industry to industry, and that's all great advice. You pointed out earlier, you tried to stay in your lane. So what did that mean for you in terms of team and building team? And do you have any thoughts on that you could share? Uh, Absolutely. You know, for me, I realized I'm a good communicator and I'm a good salesperson. I'm pretty good at developing and understanding concepts quickly. What I wasn't good at 
I wasn't good at accounting. I wasn't good at legal. Operations I was good at, but I didn't want to do it. Now I'm an idea guy. And I think as I developed ideas, I am constantly trying to add the components. Because especially as a young entrepreneur, you may in the beginning have to do everything, but you should quickly learn how to delegate the things you're not good at. You know, if I was in charge of the books, I mean, it would be a disaster. You know, a little sidebar, my wife and I, before we got married, about six months before, we decided to have separate checking accounts. And we did this for one specific reason. My wife balances her checkbook to the penny every single weekend. I look and see if I have money and I go buy something. So I learned that was not a skill set that it was going to be valuable in the business world. So again, I think the reality is build your team, build your network of advisors. And I think and then as you begin, I'm sure you guys are beginning to develop what you are really good at, but really get a good idea of the things you're either not good at or equally the things you just don't want to do. I think that's really great advice. And, you know, when I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, especially students, because they're at a point where they're trying to figure out where they're headed and they have varying levels of willingness to take on risk, kind of like you and your wife. Your wife wasn't willing to take the risk that she would ever draw. You were like, well, the money's there today. I'm going to spend it. (laughs) So, you know, I do talk to entrepreneurs that are afraid to grow because they're afraid of that growth, you know, that that's scary to them. But at the same time, it's only when you really dive in, allow yourself to think about building something big that you can actually afford to bring on somebody to build a team. So there can be value in staying a solo entrepreneur and doing what you want to do. There's nothing wrong with that. But the reality is that as you grow, you then develop the capacity to bring on others, which then helps it grow. It kind of builds on itself. And I think there's a saying, you know, if you're going to do something, you might as well do something big, something Mm -hmm. like that. So have you had that kind of philosophy or have you been more likely to kind of stay small or do you have any thoughts about that? You know? Yeah, I have. And I'll tell us, share a story in a minute, but I found that at some point as an entrepreneur, you're going to have to make a decision to step off the cliff. You're not going to grow and build a life-changing business or career unless you step off the cliff. And in some cases, you know, a good friend of mine is an attorney and been a partner of mine in several transactions. You know, he says, look, you're going to have to learn to live on a ramen budget. What that means is you go hungry so the business can eat. And sometimes that means not taking a paycheck so someone else gets. There's been parts in my career and my business, you know, I took on debt to make payroll. Sometimes you got to take those risks. And I think that's the number one. And the part of the story that I wanted to share is that, you know, I had a pretty successful career as an investment banker. And then I was telling a little bit ago that I came home on a Friday and I told my wife, I quit. And she goes, what are you going to do? I go, I'll figure it out by Monday. So I spent the weekend drawing up a business plan. Monday morning, I called my attorney and Asked him for $100,000 to start the business. Five years later, we were acquired by a company on the NASDAQ. 
So, you know, the moral of the story is, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Yeah, that's a great story. I am guessing along the way, you've also stepped off the cliff and had some disastrous <laughs> results. If you've stepped off the cliff more than once, and I'm sure you have as a lifetime entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneurs, we've talked about this, entrepreneurs often have to endure disappointment and failure is often a part of the journey to success, if not always. And having the resilience to keep going is an important part of the entrepreneurial mindset. Could you talk to us about how you think about failure? And then maybe, do you have any stories or examples, experiences you've had? I'll start with a story and then I'll tell you what I learned from that. So as I mentioned, I was pretty successful in during the dot-com era of the 90s. The reality is that ended and ended abruptly for a lot of people, including myself. By the end of the dot-com boom, after making a significant amount of money during that time, I lost millions in days. That was a tough pill to swallow. And I think sometimes when you take a hit like that, you can do one of two things. You can fall back or you can fail forward. I took that as a way, okay, I now know how to lose a lot of money. I don't have that fear anymore. And secondly, you can learn. You learn, honestly, you learn far more from failure than you can from success. I think what you can learn is humility. You learn respect of people and the world. And then honestly, you just learn the practical things, what not to do. And I think, you know, as you mentioned before, is that Failure is inevitable, but failure is not fatal. You know, figure out how to assess what you did wrong and don't do that again. And that's the main thing I learned. Yeah, you don't want to do the same thing twice. That's exactly. what, you, that's what exactly. you learn from it. You know, a lot of times mentors and coaches, trusted advisors can help us through those tough times. Have you had people along the way that have served that purpose for you? Absolutely. And it's been I can tell you the times of my greatest success is when I spent the most time with the mentors and advisors around me. You know, for example, when I got my first sales job selling advertising, you know, my mentor was this guy named Greg. He was just an old, hardcore New York salesman. And he just told me all the nuances about how to get people to like you and then be able to get that like to get them to do business with you. And he was really valuable as a 16-year-old, you know, dealing with old guys like me, trying to convince them to buy something from a 16-year-old. Later in my career, a great mentor was the CFO of one of my companies in the 90s. And, you know, I was fortunate to be successfully young, but there's some challenges that go with that. And, you know, my then CFO pulled me off to the side. He goes, you know, fame is fleeting, riches go away. And honestly, when things went south in the late 90s, his mentorship really saved me the resources to start over again. So, yeah, I think it's important to have mentors. And let's really define maybe a little bit what a mentor and advisor is. In an advisory role, someone may have a vested interest. Maybe they own a stake in your company for that advice. But a mentor is someone who's there just for you. Someone who understands you, someone that can understand your pluses, and someone that understands your minuses. And now the one thing I would recommend, and you know, being from New York and being you know, a bit of an A-type personality, most people don't have to ask me my opinion. I'll tell them. And I think you want to have mentors that have the ability 
not just to tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to know. That should be one of the main goals you guys should be looking towards in addition to your education while you're on this journey right now. Yeah, that's really important, especially when you want to raise money, right? Because investors can usually sniff that out right away. And, you know, we don't know what we don't know. So we need people that have been there before that can help us understand that. I'd like to take just a few minutes because Black Dog Ventures is an investment group, but you do a lot of things. You run some competitions for funding and that sort of thing. Could you talk just a few minutes about what Black Dog Ventures does and then maybe give our audience a few tips? on raising money. You've already given us one good sure. one, but let's talk about sure. that a little bit more. Well, at Black the Venture Partners, you know, we are really act as an accelerator. And what we do is we provide not just access to capital, but access to resources. And those resources could be, you know, filling the rest of your team. Those resources could be putting together the relationships to help you close your first transaction or sell your first products and services. And we typically stay a while. We'll stay with a company until they eventually exit. And part of that is, so it's really more hands-on, more inclusive. And, and the reason why I, I chose this is honestly, I was fortunate to have some people help me in some other areas, but I know others that didn't. And you know, in terms of raising capital, the reason why we get involved in helping them in terms of building their market and their sales is that the best non-dilutive way to raise capital is to sell something. And in some cases, that can solve two problems. One, it can make your company more valuable as an investment. And if you really do it right, it makes the need of investment not necessary. And so I think those are important things. Yeah, and part of what we've done over the last 10 years, we've been hosting what we call our VC Fast Pitch Events, where we bring in about 12 to 15 early stage entrepreneurs. They are typically seed or series A level. And then we'll bring in 40 to 50 investors that I've known and worked with for years and they pitch. I tell people our events aren't necessarily a contest. People aren't judged by the quality of their pitch. They are judged by people who write checks. And so we are a little more purposeful in what we do there. And then we create our own businesses. You know, we have a cybersecurity company that we work on. I got back into the music business during COVID and we set up Black Dog Music Partners as an artist services company to offer music NFTs and licensing and things of that nature. We have a talent agency. I decided I got tired, you know, working with other agencies. So I created my own. But again, you know, in terms of, you know, getting to investors, it's relationship driven. You need to build those relationships. So I would tell you, these you students now, is if you hope to raise capital after you graduate from this program, start contacting them now. Start meeting them now. Start having coffee with them now. Ask them what you can do for them now. You know, there's a lot of metrics and a lot of things you'll learn about what investors want to see in your business. But I always tell everybody, you know, in real estate, the the phrase is location, location, location. In raising money for your startup, it's management, management, management. So use this time to build your team and build your relationships. Yeah, that's all great advice. And I love that you encourage sales as an alternative. You know, we had a company, I had her on my podcast, but in our incubator here, and she went through a startup program with another entrepreneur and he pursued raising funds. She pursued selling product. When she reached $3 million in sales, it took him that long to raise 
an equal amount in funding. So she had 100% ownership, and he had given up a huge amount for for three million at that time. So exactly, there's some you know some famous stories. You know, there's a company called Mailchimp, who the two founders you know raised no money and sold it for an enormous amount very recently. The flip side is they really take care of their employees after. But yeah, if your goal was to raise money, you know, you're going to get diluted very quickly. If your goal was to build a successful company, you'll have the opportunity to keep more of that entity and ultimately be able to control the business. And you may need to raise money. There's nothing wrong with that. But measuring your success by how much you raise is, in my mind, is not necessarily where we want to put our metrics. All the press loves to talk about the companies that just raised their last round of funding. Yep. You know, TechCrunch and Wire, they all have that as the things they talk about. And we're guilty of it, too. We share that kind of information. But the reality is there are a lot of companies that raised enormous amounts of money and never had a business around it and ultimately failed. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a guarantee. Absolutely. So I wanted to see if we have any questions from our audience before we wrap up. Does anybody have a question they want to ask? We'll grab a microphone here and... Hello. Thank you so much for all of the information that you shared. I know I can speak on behalf of myself, but probably on behalf of everyone that we're truly blessed today. You mentioned earlier that you're an idea man. So what advice would you give to someone that is a big thinker, always has vast and great ideas, but they might be fearful that it's unachievable or unattainable, but they want to continue to be that idea person and come up with these huge innovative ideas, but they're not sure if the fear of it being unattainable will stop them from pursuing their dream. I think the first piece of advice is when you get a good idea, focus on that. Spend some time on that idea before you jump into everything else. You know, that is an affliction I have. And I've had to purposely bring people around me to tell me, stop. You know, a great example is, you know, love them or hate them. You know, Jeff Bezos started selling only books. That's the only thing he sold. You know, at one point in time, there was more books on Amazon than were in every library in the history of the world. He focused on that. And then you can build those tools for the next idea and for the next idea. And then secondly, test the market. I think one of the best ways to find out if you have a good idea, see if someone's going to buy it. And that could be as simple as putting together a landing page and getting feedback. It could be creating a crowdfunding site like Kickstarter or the other one and Indiegogo and see who wants to buy that product. But I think the biggest challenge with idea people is they tend to get bored a little quickly. They tend to fall in love with the idea of coming up with an idea, not the goal of setting up a business. So I would tell you, you know, do the Ben Franklin, you know, decision making on some of these ideas, put the good and the bad on each side, find the best one, spend some time on that, develop those skills and things you did to make that idea successful, and then apply them to the next one. Other questions? Hi, thank you very much for the conversation. So just wanted to know what are some of your limiting beliefs that you had to overcome and how did you do it? I think you know, belief comes down into two categories, being too confident and not being confident enough. And I think as a young 
early successful entrepreneur, I had to learn humility. I had to learn to be compassionate about people at my stage and below my stage and even above my stage. That would be number one. In terms of on the flip side of, you know, don't let fear get in the way. I think, you know, there's two things that you have at your advantage. One, you're young. You have the ability to come back if you fail. Two, I think we're in one of the greatest times in history to build a business. The tools are there. You can build a website. You can get someone from Fiverr or Upwork to do your graphics. You can do all of those things and build the business quickly. There's nothing but those resources out there. I'm a bit of an old guy. My businesses started before the internet. So that would be the two things I would tell you is that don't assume that you're going to be highly successful, but make that the goal. I like that. You know, we're working on a next book, a next iteration for the See, Do, Repeat books, and we're going to focus on high schoolers. And, you know, we're talking about creating a way for them to actually visualize their success. And I think in the beginning for me, you know, I try to visualize what that's going to be. And, you know, fear can play a big role in that. But if you put that out there, the more you talk about it, the more you can believe in it. And sometimes that will help, I think, overcome some of that fear and talk about it with people and share it and commit to it. So great questions. I know we probably have more, but we're probably out of time. It's been really great Scott, to have you today. I always end with a question, a couple of things. One, if you had one piece of advice, you've given us a lot of great suggestions today, but if you had just one piece of advice that the listeners would take with them, thinking about people who want to follow in a path of you know entrepreneurial journey as you have, what would that be? Take the leap, but carry a parachute. That's great. I love that. We don't want you jumping out of any planes without your parachute, right? Yes. That's right. It's not about just taking risk without something there to make sure you've got your safety net. And how can our listeners connect with you? Well, you can find me at blackdogventurepartners.com. That's my website on social media. My tag is usually blackdogceo. You can find that on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and I would love to connect with you. Thank you, Scott. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFactor.